Amen. Do you believe he's the great I am this morning? It's a lot easier to proclaim that here together than it is to live it sometimes out there, isn't it? I know for me it's difficult sometimes in everyday situations to find myself truly believing uh, that reality. But I believe we need to allow him to show us that he truly is the great I am. And I love what Greg said there, that in Christ, by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we have that, that power within us. And it's not that we boast in our own strength. Paul says it amazingly. He says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the cross. Because in my weakness, am I made strong. And I believe that's a truth we need to hold to this morning. This morning, we're finishing up a, a sermon that started last week. And so last week, Sunday, we started this message. And uh, we really kind of got through the first half of it. This morning, we're going to finish up the second half of it. And so I'm going to give you some scripture in just a moment. Uh, if you want to go back to Exodus 5, you can kind of, if you weren't here last week, you can go to Exodus 5 and you can kind of start perusing that chapter. Just really the first few verses will give you an idea of where we were last week. And so we're not going to reread the chapter for time's sake. We read it in its entirety last week and we're going to reference it to kind of review and then we'll get into some new stuff this morning. And so uh, last week we began talking about the disappointment we all face in this life in various ways at various times. The truth is every person in this room has faced disappointment at some point, has faced discouragement, has hoped in something that you thought would take place and then just that quickly or maybe even not that quickly but sooner or later that hope was taken away because whatever it was, was taken it away. And I'll give you a, a silly example, but it was kind of one that recently came to my, uh, my life. And it's not, it wasn't a huge disappointment. I wasn't uh, wrecked or crying about it or anything like that. Okay. Um, but a few, maybe a couple months ago, uh, I had somebody that was kind of a, I didn't know this person, but I, we have a mutual friend in ministry. And this person contacted me and said, uh, well, my friend contacted me and said, hey, I know a guy that I usually go and speak at this family camp that he does, and I can't make the dates. And so it was coming up in just like maybe two weeks, not even, that I would have had to go to this family camp. And he said, I thought of you as an, op an option as far as somebody that could go speak in my place and take my place. Would you be interested in going to this family camp and speaking? And I was like, I'm always willing to go speak anywhere. So yeah, it'd be great. And I said, well, where's the camp? And he said, it's in Alaska. And I thought, okay, a couple of things. I didn't know there were actually people living in Alaska. I thought it was just like this barren waste. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They got a few people up there. But anyway, and he said, well, it's a ministry there. And it's like kind of like he's a, kind of like a missionary that he knows that puts this camp on every week or every summer and, uh, or every spring, rather. I think it's in the spring, late spring. So he said, I'll put this camp on. And then they do ministries through the summer, different family ministries and stuff. But this is their big draw. And he said, I think it'd be great. You'd be a great fit for it. You and the missionary probably get along well. And I thought, okay, let's, yes, it'd be great. He said, so I'm going to give you his number. Here's his number. You call him. I'm going to call him and tell him I'll talk to you. And I think this would be a great fit. Now, if you heard all of that and the phone was hung up, would you be a little hopeful that this sure sounds like this is basically a done deal, right? Like, I mean, there's, he's the one that usually does it. He's calling me. He's probably talked to the missionary. I'm sure they've worked this out, and now he's calling me. We're good to go. I'm going to Alaska. This is going to be awesome. And this was like a five-minute conversation, and for the next, like, two days, I kept thinking, man, this is, I can't wait. I've never been to Alaska. This would be really cool, Okay. Finally, about three days goes by, and I get a hold of this, the missionary guy that's in Alaska. Finally get a hold of him. Time change, trying to figure all that out, okay? Finally get a hold of this guy. And, uh, and he says, you know, I really appreciate you calling. You know where this is going, right? But I actually set up a speaker already three days ago. We got a hold of a guy. So literally the same day the guy was calling me, trying to help out and get ahead of the, the, the ball here, the missionary actually was already working behind the scenes. They didn't know the other person was doing this, set up a speaker and said, unfortunately, it's not going to work out, but I appreciate you calling. 
Now, that's a really silly, for some of us, and the disappointments we face in life, that's a silly example. But that's what I'm talking about when I say we get some news or something comes along and we start hoping in something. We start, oh, this would be really cool. And then we start what? We start imagining or thinking about this is what it's going to be like. And I'm telling Sandra, like, this would be so cool. We can go to Alaska together and leave the kids here. It's going to be awesome. We'll, we'll just be us and, and far away, like not even near. They can't even reach us if they wanted to. Like they can't get there. So it'd be great. Okay, do this great ministry and all of this. And, and then just within three days, it's amazing how quickly hope can set in, isn't it? In three days, the hope level was just going higher and higher. There was no guarantee. There was no for sure. There was no absolute that I was going to go do this. But man, it sure seemed like it was going to go this way. And just that quickly, it can just be taken away. That's how so many times in our lives, disappointment can hit us. You see, disappointment is always rooted in hope. Because if you don't hope in something or for something, you can't then be disappointed when that something doesn't come to be. So hope is always the seed that can lead to disappointment. Now, many people, because you've been disappointed or discouraged, your solution is, I just won't hope anymore. I just won't get my hopes up. Now you can do that. You can live that way. God will give you the ability to do that. He'll let you live that way. But I can tell you right now, that's not a very enjoyable way to live. It's not a very enjoyable way to spend your life, just never getting it, never hoping in anything. Always just kind of this Eeyore Christianity, always just like, maybe it'll get better, but probably not, right? Maybe it won't rain tomorrow, but it's probably going to storm, okay? Like, you kind of have a little bit of an inkling, but instantly you wash it away with just reality, we would say. Whenever I say comments like that to Sandra joking around, she'll say something, I'm like, oh yeah, but it'll probably be like this. Jokingly, okay, some of the time. And she'll say, wow, that's encouraging. And I always say this, I'm just a realist, you know, and I throw that back out there. Some of us want to be realists. Oh, it's just, you know, that's just how life is. It's hard. And life is hard. But it, I don't believe not hoping is the solution. I think rather what we can do is still hope in what the doors might be or the opportunities might be or what God might be doing. But then in the back of our minds, we realize, but God, if you would have something different then I'm going to praise you in spite of my hopes not being fulfilled in things of this world. Now, why can we do that? Because we have a great hope. Amen? What's our great and everlasting eternal hope? In Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. That is not a hope like I wish on a star hope. That is a hope like a guaranteed, locked in by the word of God. You are in Jesus' hand. Jesus' hand is in the Father's hand, and you are not getting out. Nothing can take you out, and he's not going to lose you. That's the hope we have in Christ. But beyond that hope, there's other hopes we have. Getting a promotion, getting this certain house, maybe going on this vacation, uh, an opportunity to get a new firearm for those of you that are into that, okay? Uh, whatever it is. It could be anything for some of our younger, our teenagers here. Making that team, right? Getting on that uh, group as, at school, being part of that group at school, getting to be a part of that team. Whatever it is. We all can hope in these things, some small, some big, but disappointment will come to all of us to some degree. And so what do we do? We talked about this, and from Exodus chapter 5, we saw a much more serious form of this, not nearly as lighthearted as my example, but gave us an idea. But in Exodus chapter 5, we discover something that will exasperate disappointment. When you read Exodus 2, 3, 4, leading up to chapter 5, you meet Moses, you get to know Moses there, you find out God calls him, there's a burning bush experience, God tells him to go to Pharaoh. Right before chapter 5, at the end of chapter 4, Moses goes and speaks with the, the elders of Israel, he gets all the leadership together, and he tells them, man, God's going to deliver us, God's heard your cry, God's heard your affliction, God's going to intervene, and the children of Israel are just super excited, they're pumped up, man, Moses goes to Pharaoh in, in chapter 5, verse 1, and it doesn't go quite like they thought it would. What was supposed to be a great moment of deliverance turns into things getting worse for the Hebrews. And then as a result of this, they begin to question why Moses and Aaron even came to them. Because they thought they were making it worse. Hope is exasperated. Man, everything is going good. Oh, this is going to be awesome. Moses is going to walk into Pharaoh. He's going to say, let my people go. Moses, or Pharaoh's going to be like, okay, and they're going to go. And it's going to be great. It doesn't quite go that way. 
And actually, like I said, things get worse before they ever get better. A quote I shared last week from Matt Chandler, I'd like to share it again. Because it speaks to the frustration we feel as human beings when we, by faith, attempt to live under his control. When we try to live under God's control and trust him and step up by faith and give him the control of our life, as we talked about two weeks ago, as far as who's steering our life, we give control over to him, and we try to step up by faith and say, no, God, I'm surrendered to you. The frustration we experience is simply put by Matt Chandler this way, God has a plan, and it is good. Now, I'm going to say it again. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Everybody say good. Okay, we have to believe that, amen. God has a plan, and the plan is good. It's not good defined by us. It's good defined by him. God has a plan and it is good, but it will always play out different than we thought it would. We have to understand this. God has a plan and it is a good plan, but that plan will always work out differently than we thought it would. God's plan to set his children free from Egypt was a good plan. It was the best plan because it was God's plan. We don't have the right, we try to do this, but we really don't have the right to go to God and say, I wouldn't do it that way, you should do it this way. We can do it, he allows us to do this, but we really don't have the right to do this because I'm a created being, he is a creator God. He doesn't need me questioning him. If anything, I should say, God, I'm sorry, I don't get your plan, help me to understand it. You see, he has a plan and it is good, but it will always play out differently than we thought. So we talked about through Exodus 5, quickly for a review, for those that weren't here and just to kind of catch us up to the second half. We talked about things that will exasperate disappointment. What will make disappointment even worse in our lives? We know we all go through it, but what will make it worse? Well, the first thing we talked about last week was half-hearted obedience. Half-hearted obedience. This is true in our walk with God. When I am half-hearted in my obedience to him and what he's called me to do in this life, and I experience disappointment when I'm not fully faithful to God, then I believe God's not being faithful to me. I'll blame God and get angry with God, even though I'm the one that's not doing 100% what I should. Now, I actually want to clarify this point from last week a little bit. And I'm so thankful that God led me for a few weeks there to talk about humility. Uh, because this is one of those humble moments for me as a pastor. And so, but I want to, I want to share this with you because I believe it's important. Uh, last week, because after the service, I'm so thankful someone did this. Someone brought to my attention And I don't know how I missed this in reading and preparing for the sermon, but in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, uh, God told Moses to say to Pharaoh that they needed to go out and hold a feast. Now, that's how Exodus 5 opens up. 5.1 says that Moses goes in and tells Pharaoh that they need to go out into the wilderness and hold a feast. And last week, I, I talked about how that I didn't believe was full obedience because he wasn't really clarifying and bringing to the full attention the liberation that God was setting forth for the children of Israel. And somehow, in my studies, I just completely missed Exodus 3, 18 and 19, where it actually says in the middle of 18, go to the king of Egypt and say this. Initially, reading that through, it almost sounds like he's talking to the elders, and the elders are to be told, this is what we're going to do in the wilderness, we're going to hold a feast. But somehow I missed that part about going to Pharaoh and saying this. And so last week I said that Moses was being half-hearted in his obedience because he didn't fully proclaim this. And I want to clarify that Scripture actually says in chapter 3, verses 18 19, that Moses was told to go to Pharaoh and say these things. Now, I would still say, when you read chapter 3 and chapter 4 in its entirety, I still wonder if Moses maybe needed to be a little more forthright with the liberation that God was bringing. Uh, Another commentator said this, that the trip would actually take up to a week. Because if you read it, Moses says, we need three days' journey into the wilderness to hold a feast to worship. So that's three days out, one day of worship, three days back. How many days is that? So he says we need a three-day journey. And one commentator said, in his opinion, that by Moses not explaining the entirety of the trip, that I actually need seven days, a week off, for these servants that you have, these slaves that because of his omission of that, some, in this one commentator I was studying said, that maybe Pharaoh interpreted that as, do you want to go and worship or are you trying to escape? That's why Pharaoh most likely got so hard and said, no, you're not going anywhere. In fact, we're going to double your work. We're going to make it harder on you. Because he interpreted that as, if you think you're going to sneak off under the guise of worship, it's not going to happen. But I want to be clear on this because I've always said this, and this is true, and I believe 
Rather, I hope to say that this will always happen. If I say something from the word of God, if I imply something from the word of God and you're reading your scripture and you go, man, I don't know if that's really what that says. Somebody came to me last week and said, they were, we were walking by the door. They were sitting by the door and they were walking out. And I, they said, I said, how you doing? Have a great day. And they said, thanks. I said, no, I'm sorry. I can't really let this go. I saw this in Exodus 3. Am I missing something here? And I was so thankful because it led me to kind of say, you know what, man, I missed that somehow. So I'm telling you as a pastor, I'm not perfect. That's the point of this whole clarity. I'm not perfect, but God's word is perfect. And so if we ever hear something from the word of God, whether out of my mouth or someone else's mouth, we need to make sure, man, what does the word actually say? So I want to make sure I clarify that. I don't know then if Moses was truly being half-hearted in his, in his obedience to God. Maybe in his mind he was being fully obedient because he said exactly what God said. However... Maybe he could have clarified things a little more, been a little more forthright, because obviously we read in chapter 4 where Moses is told, go to Pharaoh and say this and say this and say this, and we see all that come much later. So maybe there was a little bit of a reservation on Moses' part, but I want to make sure we're clear on that. And let me say again, whether Moses was half-hearted in his obedience or not, I truly believe half-hearted obedience does exasperate disappointment. Half-hearted obedience to God's word will make our disappointments great, greater, rather. Next point we talked about last week. We talked about not only this idea of half-hearted obedience, but about the clash of the titans. The clash of the titans. The two titans we see here are God and Pharaoh. Those are the titans that are clashing and coming together. This ultimately results in a fear among God's people. Notice the difference, if you study it out later in in Exodus chapter 5, we see two things being talked about here. God says, come out and rest. Pharaoh says, stay and work. The people expected rest and received more work, greater burden. Now, if you're a children of, of God, a child of God, and you're in Egypt, and you're expecting deliverance, but you get a greater burden, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get upset. You're going to get confused. You're going to be asking God, why is it going this way? This wasn't how it was supposed to go. But in this passage, we see thus says God and thus says Pharaoh. And the people of God are left with a choice. Who are we going to submit to? Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to fear Pharaoh and greater burden? Or are we going to fear God with reverence and humility and honor God and say, no, we're going to serve him, even though it seems like it's getting harder So clash of the titans, we got to understand in our times of disappointments, we will have a clash of titans between what God's word says and the fears that we're experiencing based on our circumstances. And again, last week we unpacked that much more, so I encourage you to listen to last week's message if you had not already. And then the last thing we talked about as far as what will exasperate disappointment is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. This is not like when you go to Walmart and five minutes in you forget why you walked in the store. That's not the kind of forgetfulness we're talking about. I've been there. Okay? And you get to the register, and then you check out, and you get in the car, and your spouse texts you or calls you, and you realize, oh, I forgot the one thing I went in there for. Okay? That's not the kind of forgetfulness we're talking about. Moses and even God's people had some moments of forgetfulness. We see in Moses' life when he speaks to God towards the end in verse 22 of chapter 5, Moses went back to the Lord, one translation says, and protested. Why have you brought me Or why have you brought all this trouble on your own people? Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Isn't this amazing? Moses is prepared and prepared and prepared and trained by God himself. This is what you're going to say. I'm giving you Aaron. I'm giving you everything you need. Now go to Pharaoh. And by the way, four times roughly, Pharaoh tells tells Moses, or God tells Moses, Pharaoh won't even listen. You're going to go and Pharaoh won't even listen. But then what happens? Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't listen. And then Moses gets mad at God because Pharaoh didn't listen. But if Moses would have just remembered the conversations he had with God, he would have known that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. We do the same thing. When we're in times of disappointment, we do the same thing. We forget what God actually said. We forget what God actually said. We forget how God has blessed us in the past, how he has provided for us and walked with us in great ways. Then we actually blame God for the situation. We forget what God said, and then we blame God for how it's playing out. We forget all that God has done for us. 
Because at that moment, the disappointment becomes so great. The discouragement becomes so great. It's all we allow ourselves to focus on. But I want to encourage you with this before we move into the new material. Be encouraged with this because when you read the next chapter, chapter 6, the end of 5 and the beginning of 6, you're going to find out that God actually speaks to Moses and reminds him not of how great Moses is. I love when God encourages us this way. Because let me ask you a question. When you're with some friends, family members, and you're discouraged and disappointed and you're going through something, a friend or a family member who loves you and cares for you, for the most part, will try to encourage you by saying what? You'll be okay. You'll get through this. I know that you can do this. And that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that per se because it's just encouragement. It's trying to help lift us up. But God doesn't do that. If you read chapter 6, what does God do? God actually does the opposite. He doesn't talk about how great Moses is. He talks about how great he is. He says, whoa, 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 who's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who's the God that has all authority? Who's the God that's going to take care of this? Who's the God that's going to deliver these people? I am going to do that. That's why I love what Greg, Pastor Greg said about the I am statement in that song, the great I am, going back to John. I love that commentary because I think it's amazing to remember God is not a God of circumstance. God is a God of eternity. God is a God of sovereignty. And he sees all of it, and he holds all of it together. And so when you are discouraged and disappointed, don't forget who God is. Dwell on who God is. Remind yourself by the power of God's word, through the working of the Holy Spirit, that God is who God says he is, and he is there for you. And he will provide for you what is needed. He will take care of the situation to his glory and to his praise. And again, it will not look like what you think it will, but it will be good. It will be good. And so this, these are the things that will exasperate disappointments. Half-hearted obedience Fear, when we start to trust in or listen to more the voice of fear than trust in the word of God, and then forgetfulness. So, now that we know what will make disappointment worse, how can we then withstand the waves of disappointment? How can we withstand the waves of disappointment in our lives? Well, the first thing we have to do if you're taking notes is we have to acknowledge our limitations. We have to acknowledge our limitations. We just have to acknowledge that we are not ultimate that we are not all powerful, that only God is. Only God is omniscient or all-knowing. Only God is omnipotent or all-powerful, and only God is omnipresent or all where, everywhere at all times. Only God is those things. Let's stop for a minute. And when we say he is the great I am, what are we declaring about God? That he is all-knowing. If you know someone all-knowing that isn't God, raise your hand. That's what I thought. If you raised someone who claimed to be all-knowing at some point in their teenage years, raise your hand just real quick. Okay, amen, amen. We've all had that experience. Somehow a 14-year-old becomes the smartest person in the world. I don't know how it happens, but they literally know everything about everything. And here's how we know, because they'll keep debating you over and over again to the point of insanity. Not theirs. Yours, okay? But anyway, we are not all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at all times. Here's the awesome thing as well. Satan is not all-knowing, all-powerful, or everywhere at all times. Man, we, we in the church today, not North Goodland, but I mean church in America today, we are so busy trying to refute Satan and battle Satan and combat demons and all this other stuff that we have stopped to realize not my job to battle Satan. It's my job to be guarded against him by the power of God's word, right? The armor of God, to be aware of him and his attacks. But when he comes to me, what's my defense? In Jesus' name. But here's the thing too. Let me just throw this little reality check out there. We like to blame Satan for a lot of stuff, don't we? Man, he's getting blamed for all kinds of things. And you know what? He may do some of it. But your flesh has done a lot of it. Your own decisions have caused a lot of that. The world we live in that is fallen and broken and full of sinners who don't know Christ have caused some of that. So instead of just easy out, oh, it's Satan, oh, it's Satan, 
Rather, we step in the mirror and say what James 1 says. Maybe it's the lust in me that's conceiving and bringing forth sin. Maybe it's not so much Satan. Now, I'm not saying Satan doesn't attack us and demonic attack isn't a real thing. Obviously, the Word of God speaks to this. But when we throw that out there, let's stop. And actually, when you, when you feel Satan's attacking you, start reading the Word of God about when Satan attacks somebody. And look at what that looks like. And then look at your disappointment and see, is this the same? <laughs> is this matching up? Because Job was attacked by Satan. I, I've never gone through a Job situation. Jesus was oppressed and tried to be attacked by Satan. I, I've never gone through those kind of moments. Now, I think Satan attacks in different ways, but I'm just saying, let's not just throw that out there because remember, he is a created being. He's created that means he is limited. But he that is in you, through Christ, he is much greater. He is so much greater because he is not created. He is the creator. And so we need to acknowledge our limitations and realize God has no limitations. How do I withstand disappointment in my life? I acknowledge I am limited, but my God is limitless. There is no boundary to what he can and cannot do. He can do whatever he chooses to do, whenever he chooses to do it. And when we realize that, that he is the great I am and that he is all that he says he is, our position before God becomes very limited in also understanding his ways or his movements. When I know that I am not God and he is, and I am limited and he is not, then my understanding of how he moves around me and in my life and what he allows into my life and how he uses it for his glory and my blessing becomes also very limited. And we have to grow comfortable in living in the sovereignty of God. We have to grow comfortable living in the sovereignty of God. We spend so much time with people during the week who tell us that we can do this or that. Many of us grew up with that slogan that you could do anything you put your mind to. And I've always wondered about that. Well, okay, go jump off the building and fly, but put your mind to it. When we see, hear these things and we say these things, I think we want to be encouraging, but the reality is they are not true. You are not ultimate. In our world, our culture makes us the, the, the all-star of our lives. It's all about us. Every day of the week, no matter what you watch, you can find something somewhere to encourage you, to make you think it's all about you. Everything. Your money is all about you. Your house is all about you. Your career is all about you. That's why people quit jobs so fast nowadays, because they think that their boss is supposed to be there for them. Well, you can't believe what my boss made me do. You can't believe what my boss made me say. You can't believe what my boss, or my boss said to me or what I have to do. It's a job. Like, go to work. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, so what? You got a, a, kind, of a kind of a crappy boss. I'm sorry. Go to work. Like, I, didn't, I guess get another job. But realize that job isn't based around you. And see, this is our culture today. It's all about us. And it's all about us and our comfort. Well, I'm not very comfortable with this. It's not very convenient. So what? If God is calling you to do it, why has it got to be comfortable? I've always said this. Why did he give us a comforter in the Holy Spirit? Because he's going to call us to some uncomfortable situations. But it, it becomes very easy to step out by faith when we what? When we start trusting in the sovereignty of God. No, God, this is all for you. We've got to grow comfortable in the sovereignty of God. The reality is, this life is not about you. It's not about me. And I love what one author said. He said this, It is wonderful to be small in the hands of our big and powerful God. I love that. It is wonderful to be small in the hands of our big and powerful God. There is great peace when we realize our limits and trust in his limitless. Limitlessness. There we go. Isn't it amazing to think about that? God has no limits. No situation in your life can you come into that God can't take care of. Nothing. And again, let me say this again. I know I, I teased about the job thing and stuff like that. There are some very serious disappointments we come into in life. Some very serious, discouraging things. And I know I joke about the job thing. Some of you really are in bad job situations. But I, I love the word of God on this because it always gives us an encouragement when, when, when you talk about the job relationship, the employer-employee relationship, an employer should treat their employees with certain respects and understanding. And really, the Bible says that, that they should treat them as, as they would treat Christ, like as, as they would serve Christ. But, but sometimes employers aren't that way. 
So employees, what should we do when we have someone that's not treating us in a Christ-like way? Like any other area of life, we still treat them in a Christ-like way. And I tell you what will make a big difference in your job or your career. If you start working for your employer as though you are employed by Christ and just start working that mindset, that person might not treat you the best way. But at the end of the day, you're not making that paycheck for them. You're not making that paycheck for you. You're making that paycheck to honor Christ. Because guess what? What you do with that money should honor Christ. This is where in Baptist churches, I don't really like the idea of the 10% thing being so hardcore because we've created a mindset that 10% God, 90% mine. No, no, no. 100% is God's in Christ. And you give back some, a percentage, but he then entrusts you with the difference and says, okay, now go use that for my glory. But we, we cannot really stand and say, well, this is mine. We have to realize that he is limitless. And when we trust him with all these things, he will do great things through our life. And so moving quickly through this, how do we withstand waves of disappointment? They come, but how do we withstand them? How do we stand against them? Well, we acknowledge our limitations, and we acknowledge that he is limitless. Also, secondly, we need to read the Bible honestly. We need to read the Bible honestly. Go to John chapter 16, verse 33. That's where we're going to get into some text this morning, and I appreciate you bringing your Bibles today. John chapter 16 We have to read the Bible honestly. This means that we have to really and honestly listen to what the scriptures actually reveal about what happens to God's people, what this life actually looks like. I was listening to one speaker, and he said something similar to this. He said, we live in a day and age where anyone can grab a verse, create a meme, and make us think the Bible says this life is to be easy, and God ultimately wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy. We live in a day and age where any person can grab a Bible verse, make a meme, smack it on social media. And I love that, by the way. I love that we can share things that way through YouVersion Bible app and other resources because it's encouraging to see God's word all over social media compared to the other garbage that's usually floating around social media. But when we do that, though, we've got to be so careful because there are some that will take just this verse and that verse and smack it on a thing and, oh, and we'll share it. And next thing you know, thousands of people have seen this verse completely taken out of context that does not say what the author is or what the person of the meme is saying it says. And it's all about getting us happy, healthy, and wealthy. Now, I'm okay with healthiness. I love what our Rev Well Ministries do here. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is some would tell you that if you get sick, that that's a faith problem. But if you just had enough faith, you'd never get sick. Which is always interesting to me how that changes when somebody that that person knows or they themselves get sick. It's easy to say that when I'm healthy, right? It's easy to say that when no one in my family has cancer. It's easy to say, well, yeah, but God just wants us to be healthy all the time. And then all of a sudden something changes. And now people that have been taught that for years get into a kind of a paradigm of confusion. Wait a minute. And then when that person, if God allows that person to pass away from something like cancer, then that person's left to go, oh, was that my bad? I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't have enough faith. And it's amazing how we can get so twisted on this. We have to be so careful here that we read the Bible honestly. John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you. By what things? If you go backwards, he talks about verse 6 or chapter 16. It's all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. How many of you want peace today? True peace. Raise your hand. You want peace. And we love that. Yes, peace. We can have peace in Christ. He goes on to say, though, In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Isn't that a powerful reality? In me you'll have peace. And we love that. And we love the end of the verse, don't we? Oh, he's overcome the world. Amen. But sometimes we just kind of skip over those couple words there. In Christ we have peace. He has overcome the world. But in this world you will have tribulations. That's not saying the the, the unfaithful Christian will have tribulations or the, the person that's not consistent in tithing will have tribulations. No, no, no. He's saying to believers 
who have the Holy Spirit. I've given you my spirit through salvation. John chapter 14, 27 says he gives us his peace, which comes through the Holy Spirit's indwelling in our lives. And then we get to chapter 16. He tells us all the benefits of what the Spirit's going to do for us, bring into remembrance all the things he's taught us. It's going to comfort us. He's going to come alongside us. But then he says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Jesus is not soft-selling life. Jesus is not trying to sugarcoat anything. He's being honest with us because he loves us. And he says, tribulations will come and we have to be ready for them. Now we know that he has given us peace and the peace comes from what? The knowledge that he has overcome the world. We see that, right? He has overcome the world. Therefore, I have peace in him because I know that he is greater. It gives me a peace to know he is victorious. Not me victorious, him victorious. But I want to look at some ex- one example here of how this might play out in our lives, but we definitely see it playing out in the life of one of those that loved and followed Christ. Go over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we're starting verse 1. Because I want to look at an example of what Jesus is talking about. Now, I think these passages are kind of good passages for us. Now, we don't think of these passages or a passage like this as good, but I believe it is good because it helps us to have the right perspective on life. And it gives us a reality that God sets, not we set for ourselves. Matthew chapter 11, familiar passage. And I want to go here because it's kind of a familiar story to many of us in verse 1. It says here in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Verse 2 of Matthew 11. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now, time out. We got we to get verse 2. Right? What does it say? Now, when John had heard in the prison. So we got to stop for a second and go, whoa, 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 what happened there? This is John the Baptist that's being talked about here. And long story short, John the Baptist continued to minister even after he baptized Jesus Christ. He's continuing to minister and preach repentance for the kingdom is at hand. Well, there's a guy in charge named Antipas, Herod Antipas. This is the son of Herod the Great. We read about Herod the Great when Jesus is born. This is his son, Herod Antipas. Well, Herod Antipas was not a nice guy, taking after the role of his father. Not a very smart, nice guy as far as it came to how to live life. And so, well, he realized his brother's wife was very attractive. And so he decides to take his brother's wife as his wife and begins to have an adulterous relationship with her. Well, John the Baptist sees this, is aware of this, and he tells Herod Antipas, that's not okay. You can't do that. That's not right. You shouldn't be doing this. And so Herod Antipas, in reaction to this, throws John the Baptist in prison. Now, we're going to find out later, we're not going to have time to read it all, but later we're going to find out John the Baptist actually dies because of this. And you can read the story. It's an amazing story of how John continued to stay faithful to what was true to God's word. But John the Baptist gives his life because he decided to stand for what was right. And so here we read in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, that John's in prison. He's hearing about all the things that Jesus is doing. And he sends two of his disciples to ask a question, a very important question, verse 3. And said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another. John's seeing all this, hearing all this, and he's starting to second guess. Okay, was I right when I said you were the Lamb of God? Am I on this? I'm on the right page? Am I, am I, did I do the right thing? We need to make sure of this, or should we wait for another Messiah? So he's just wanting to check and kind of, is this really accurate to what God's going to do? Now, some have assumed because he was in prison, he's asking this question, because if he's in prison and Jesus is ministering, has Jesus gone and released John from prison? No, because he's sitting in prison and he sends two of his disciples. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them. So they come to Jesus and this is what Jesus says. Go and show John, again, those things which he do hear and see. I love that. Not just what I'm telling you, but look at what you're seeing as evidence of this. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, is that meant to be encouraging or discouraging? How many of you say it's an encouraging word that Jesus is trying to give John the Baptist? Okay, what, what's encouraging about it? 
All these things that you've heard the Messiah will do, I'm doing. All these things you've heard the Messiah will do, I'm doing. Jesus' response in verses 4 through 6 sound good. And we think Jesus is encouraging John, which he is, but not the way we think. Jesus is actually quoting here Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. He is quoting from a couple different parts of Isaiah, to be honest. But one key is Isaiah 61.1. So he's quoting from a few different places in Isaiah. Because Isaiah spoke a lot about the prophet or the Messiah as a prophet. He prophesied of all these things Messiah would do. And so as Jesus is trying to answer this question to John, knowing John is a man of God's word, he gives them scripture. It's amazing how Jesus would use scripture. So he's giving John Isaiah 61.1 and a couple other places. The only difference that John does not hear when Jesus is telling his disciples this is the phrase, prisoners set free. In Isaiah, we read all those things that the Messiah will do, and he will set the prisoners free. Isn't this interesting? Let me ask you a question. You're John the Baptist. You're sitting in prison. You know the word of God. I mean, you know the word of God. Most likely, John was part of a group of of Jews that lived out in the wilderness, more or less, in caves, and they would study and study and study Scripture. They were dedicated to the Word of God, but they were separate from all the political stuff of what went on. He was part of a group called the Essenes, most believe. So his whole childhood and life was studying Scripture. And could you imagine your disciple shows up, and he comes running back from Jesus? He's like, okay, hang on. This is what he said. Now, could you just imagine for a minute you're the guy relaying the message? You want to talk about pressure to get something right. Like, there's no, like, texting. Like, you can't be like, all right, let me tell John what you said. He said, smiley face. He came to set the blunt. He doesn't, he can't do that. You got to relay it. So he gets back to John. He says, okay, this is what he said. He said, get this, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. You know the word of God. What are you already doing in your mind? If I said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not but have everlasting. You did exactly what John most likely was doing. You're hearing this scripture, and you know, oh, man, that's Isaiah. Oh, man. okay, yeah, okay, the bl- okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And you get to the end. What's all he said? Yeah, that's it. That's everything he said. That's all he said. Nothing about prisoners? No, nothing about prisoners. Do you know what Jesus was doing? He was affirming he was the Messiah. He said, hey, I I really am the Messiah, John. Don't worry, I really am him. But you're never leaving that prison. Could you imagine that moment for John the Baptist? Could you just imagine him just kind of sulking over and sitting down and just kind of the reality of that setting in? He could totally set me free, but he's not going to. Now, this is where in church we say the canned answer of, well, yeah, but he fulfilled what God had him to do in this life, and so God was okay with it. He was beheaded. He didn't just lay down and fall asleep and pass away. He was martyred. And Jesus tells him, John, I'm really the guy. You did right. I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. And you're not going to leave. Now we know again, what's the spiritual? Oh, but he's, he's set free in heaven. and he, Yes, and all those things are true. It's true. He fulfilled what God called him to do. And when you're going to read, by the way, what does Jesus call John the Baptist? The greatest prophet. He was a great man. He was he a was great man. So was John a man of faith? Absolutely he was. And this is where that whole argument about if you have the favor of God, this will all work out this way. If you have the favor of God, you'll always have health. If you have the favor of God, your bank account will always be full. If you have the favor of God, you'll always get that raise. This is where that whole thinking breaks down. Because John, by Jesus' own admission, says he's a great prophet. He's the greatest prophet. And yet he doesn't leave that prison. So what do we do when we're in these prisons of disappointment and we're getting into God's word and we're expecting to be encouraged and man, we are encouraged, but sometimes it's not always what we wanted to say. I said it last week, the, say, the, fra- the phrase that I've heard so much is that when God closes a door, he'll open a window. That's not true to scripture. 
There's a lot of times in this life, and maybe you've been here, he'll shut the door and he'll lock the window and he'll say, it's just you and me in this room for a while and that's going to have to be good enough. And I'm going to have to have you just sit and wait on me because I've got something coming. It's not what you think. It's not what you want, but it's best for my glory. And it will bless you. It will provide for you what you need, but we're just going to have to be patient a little bit here. So let's just sit here quietly and wait. And we don't like that. Anybody love waiting? Like waiting rooms are like your best friend. Anybody? Anybody. Okay, you go to a checkout and you look for the longest line and you're like, this looks fun. We were sitting there last night waiting for some fireworks to start at a campground. And when do fireworks usually start? When it gets... Okay. Apparently that's a very subjective term. We're sitting there and it's fairly dark. Still sort of light, but dark enough for fireworks. And we're just waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. Just like this. Only imagine... Let's see, four, four, four or five kids, some mine, some others, just running around like crazy. They're just going nuts. It's getting chilly. Mosquitoes are coming out. You're just waiting. Gets a little darker. Waiting. We don't like waiting. We don't like the idea of having to be patient before God. It doesn't, and waiting is not inactivity before God. It's doing what God we know has called us to do while we wait for the next thing. And we're just waiting and we're patient. And I've always wondered as John sat back down on that chair, what went through his mind? And I have to say, just based on what I see in scripture, based on what I see John's life being up to this point, and based on the fact that he still stands true and is willing to be martyred, I believe that I'm sure he was disappointed, but I'm sure he also said, God, you must know what's good here. I'm just going to trust you. So we read scripture honestly. When we do that, we see something very key in our understanding. And we're going to close with this. We're out of time. As we're reading scripture honestly, we're not looking for it to say what we want it to say. We're looking for what it really says. It will help us to see the cross. It, we can look to the cross. You want to know how to withstand the waves of disappointment? You acknowledge your limitations. You read scripture honestly, and you look to the cross. You see, this reminds us that God is for us, not against us. When we feel discouraged and disappointed in a moment in life, we have to step back and remind ourselves how God sees us, what God thinks of us. I have talked to people in their worst moments, and it is amazing how often they will say in some form of another, well, God is angry with me. God is mad at me. God must really hate me right now. And as I said a couple weeks ago, if God brings correction into our life, it is not because he hates us, but because he loves us. But also realize that a disappointing moment in your life is not necessarily God correcting you. It may just be the result of living in a fallen and broken world with fallen and broken people. No matter the circumstance, we need to look to the cross and take in the overwhelming love of God that he has for us. We all have doubts when fears arise. However, when circumstances seem hopeless, we trust not that God will make the circumstances better. We trust in the one greater than the circumstances. We trust in the one that holds us in his hand. We trust in his unending, never diminishing grace. And we know that we are his because he said we are his. So what do we do in our disappointments? We redeem them. We redeem them. They reveal what we really want in a moment. And they can even be good things that are made ultimate. When we start hoping in something, we should ask ourselves, is this what God would have for me? Or is this something in my own flesh? And if it is a God thing that doesn't come to be that we think was a God thing, we redeem them and we allow God to use them in our lives. How does God redeem disappointments? Well, it pushes us to him if we're allowing it to. It will push us to prayer and depth in Christ and in his word. I want to encourage you to jot down a passage Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, it says this, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's just a snippet of that. When you read the whole thing, you get the whole idea. For time's sake, I just want to key in on that. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. 
This is what he's saying after being thrown in prison, after being beaten, after going through so many hardships. He says, all of it's for the progress of the gospel. And I want you to know something. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I don't want you to be confused on this. Paul understood that the things he went through, good or bad, were used by God to advance the gospel and give the church strength. It says the church got stronger because of these things. May our desire be that we are allowing our disappointments, the trials and the things we go through, to be redeemed by God, to glorify him, to proclaim the gospel, and to strengthen other believers in Christ. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in all that was said and done. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the reality that it brings into our lives, that it can change our perspective. It can change our understanding in a moment. And I pray, Lord, that as we desire to know you more, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds to what you have to the depths and the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that we can withstand the waves of disappointment. Lord, they will come. We will all battle disappointment in this life. We will all have moments of discouragement, but things that we hoped in that didn't come to be the way we thought they would. And Lord, I know it's, it's troubling. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know in some situations we can make light of it, but I pray that that would not negate the hurt and the pain that people go through. And I pray that we would know that you see us in those disappointments and your, your love is for us, your grace is for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to acknowledge our limitations, to be real. I pray you'd help us to read scripture honestly, to see that you warned us of these things long before. But I pray also in reading scripture honestly, we would understand the power of the cross, that we would know that a circumstance does not change our standing with you because you are greater. You love us more than we can even imagine. And so may we, in a disappointing season, not believe the lie that you are not for us, but that you are against us, Lord, because you are for us. We, do, we forget that so often. We think, oh, but God, if you were, may we not reduce you to a circumstantial God, but may we keep you as you are positioned in Scripture as a sovereign God over all things who has a good plan that will work out differently than what we thought. And may we have faith to trust you when things go different than we thought. Be with us now, Lord. Help us to understand these things to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? If God is leading you to come and pray, we invite you to do so. If you're going through a disappointing season, something's disappointed you, discouraged you, we invite you to come and bend a knee. If you want to pray with someone, there's those in the front that would love to pray with you. But we invite you to spend time with the Lord this morning. Take that disappointment to him, allow him to redeem it, and use it for his glory.